Looking forward to uh, being in this passage this morning, and uh, even though it's not uh, maybe a Mother's Day sermon, uh, I do look forward to uh, bringing some application at the end of the message, uh, because uh, today we are really continuing the message that we began last week. We'll uh, do the final two points in Hebrews 10, and then we'll look at Hebrews 11, begin Hebrews 11, and talk about a prayer for a generation to stand up in faith. And so, uh, considering it is Mother's Day, uh, it is our prayer, as Tyler has prayed, that uh, we would be able to encourage mothers this morning uh, to stand up in faith, because there are a lot of promises in the Word of God that encourage them uh, and the impact that they have and have had on our lives. We also want to acknowledge uh, this morning those who uh, have mothers uh, who have passed away, and today becomes a difficult day for them. Uh, we want you to know that we're praying for you as well and that God may give you grace uh, as you remember, as you reflect. Uh, we also pray for those who uh, maybe have difficult uh, relationships uh, within family, and that can be a time of reflection and uh, just praying that we would be people of faith and uh, even in this generation, we would uh, encourage one another and today encourage uh, women and mothers uh, to stand up in faith uh, because of the promises that God gives. So uh, we look forward to the message uh, uh, and the passage of Hebrews 10 and 11 this morning. You may remember the story of, uh, in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, where an evil spirit, Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration, he comes down and uh, Father... Uh, is grieving his son because he's filled with an evil spirit and the disciples aren't able to cast them out. And Jesus would explain later that uh, this demon would only be cast out through prayer and some translations, prayer and fasting. Uh, this was a violent evil spirit and uh, it wanted to kill the boy. Uh, it wanted to uh, bring much pain into his life uh, throwing him into fire and throwing him into water, among other things. The disciples couldn't cast out the demon. The father pleads with uh, Jesus and says these words, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Notice those words, if you can do anything. Jesus' response is, if I can, if I can, everything is possible for me or for the one who believes. And then the father responds to Jesus and says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I wonder if those words and that struggle uh, are what's most prominent in the book of Hebrews. We do believe, but then we come across times where things in life seem so horrific. Like, why is there an evil spirit that possesses a boy that seeks to destroy him? And even the disciples can't do anything about that. And then when Jesus speaks, we know that Jesus, uh, everything is possible with Jesus. And we want to believe that, and we say, but Jesus, help my unbelief. And sometimes when we approach our doubts that way, we say, Jesus uh, and Satan can work at us in such a way where it's like we have no belief, or our belief system is being crushed around us, and we even wonder if we're believers. Uh, Jesus helps minister, or this, this man helps minister to us by saying, Jesus, uh, we've been taught to believe in Hebrews, and we do believe, but 
then there are those pockets of unbelief, so help my unbelief. Hebrews wrestles with that statement. We believe, but we wrestle with doubts. We wrestle with anxieties. Even mature believers, even mature believers can doubt. It's not just a young believer moment. Uh, And it's not just not doubt, but as we're uh, going into Hebrews 10 and 11, how do we stand up with courage? How do we endure during difficult times? How do we not draw back? How are we not those who view ourselves as destroyed? So we began last week with three faith-building conversations. Hebrews 10, if you remember, summarizes Hebrews 1 through 9. And it says, in the blood of Christ, we are sanctified, we are perfected, we are forgiven, and then the new covenant gives us a new heart and a new mind by the Holy Spirit so that we live for him. And the first three responses of this uh, faith in Jesus are draw near to God, hold on to Jesus, and then the third one is let us watch out for one another. And we began to ask the question, do you have anybody watching out for you? Do you have anybody watching out for you? And then we extended that question to, do you watch out for anybody? Uh, I think we used the illustration where if somebody comes up to you after a service and says, I just want to encourage you, um, and then they tell you something encouraging, you go, yeah, that's good, but they don't really know what's going on in my life, so it's not really an encouragement. But if somebody knows what's going on in your life and brings encouragement and, as we read in the passage, provokes you to love and good deeds, then that's, that's more meaningful. It's not like the other encouragement isn't meaningful, but this becomes more meaningful. Now, we ask ourselves the question, well, what do those conversations look like? And that's the beauty of what we're going through in Hebrews 10, verses 26 to the end. And we saw that the first conversation, and the... We, we can try and sanitize Scripture, but these are difficult conversations. What happens if you go up to somebody and say, you know what, I know I'm a believer, but man, I want to deliberately sin. To just continually, and even deliberately sin to the point where I don't even know if it's worth it to follow Jesus Christ anymore. I'm doubting his goodness. What would you say to somebody like that? What type of difficult conversation could we have? And that's where we spent last Sunday, is if somebody comes and says, you know, or you see them deliberately sinning, you say, can, I, can we just sit down and have this conversation? And then uh, the pastor of Hebrews brings us through uh, some difficult truths about the terrifying expectation of judgment, um, about uh, in the Old Testament, those who disregarded the law uh, died without mercy, and then uh, talks about what it really is to go on to deliberately sin. Uh, we trample on the Son of God, the person of God. We regard um, as unclean the blood of the covenant, which we just read in Hebrews 10, uh, causes us to be clean. And then we insult the Spirit of, the, of God. We just don't want anything to do with the Spirit. We don't want anything to do with holiness. That's the type of difficult conversation that we need to be having in our lives. So that was the first conversation. The second conversation happens in verses 32 through 35. The second conversation of how we provoke love and good works, how we seek to encourage and watch out for one another, happen in verses 32 through 35, where uh, somebody comes to you or you go to somebody and they say, you know what, I look at all this suffering I look at how others are suffering, 
I look at the suffering around the world. I look at how children suffer. I look at wars. I look at all of this suffering. And then I can look at the suffering that I'm going through, and I ask myself, why, God, am I going through this? Why are others going through this? We know that evil and suffering can be a difficult thing to work through, a difficult truth to work through. But what we read in verse 32 is, remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, uh, again, so we're talking about believers, those who are enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. You endured a hard struggle with suffering. So what we read is in verse 32, there were earlier days, they endured hard struggles with sufferings, but the difficulty is suffering can wear us down. We can begin to ask the question, is it worth it? What happens when we suffer? What happens when we watch others suffer? I'm not sure I can continue to draw close to God because I don't know who God is anymore. I'm not sure that I can continue to hold on uh, to the confession with hope because I see very little hope. I don't know if I can have these conversations with others around me to provoke me to love and good works because I just want to throw away my confidence. I don't know who God is anymore. So verse 33 explains that they endured suffering. What was some of this suffering? Sometimes you were public, publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. Now, there are countries around the world that are suffering serious persecution. We are suffering hints of what I think are beginning to happen in verse 30, or what we read in verse 33, being publicly exposed that's difficult to do as a Christian now, isn't it? Oh, you hold on to these truths. You hold this about marriage. Or you hold this about gender. And what we read is there was this conversation to provoke love and good works that when they were publicly exposed to taunts or to afflictions, they didn't hide their faith. They stood up. They stood up even though their belief system and what they held to, even though they might be taunted, even though they might be afflicted, these words meaning verbal abuse, accusations, disgrace for their allegiance for Christ, they still stood up in those early days. And so somebody comes to you and says, you know what, if I do this at this time, then I will be publicly exposed. And I don't know what that will do for me. I don't know what that will do for my job. I don't know what that will do for my family. And then we read at other times, you were companions of those who were treated that way. So sometimes it wasn't the suffering that you went through, but sometimes it's the suffering that others went through. And the suffering that others went through in verse 34, for you sympathize with the prisoners. Now back in those days, the prisoners didn't get a meal plan. So you actually had to bring them their food. But if you brought their food to the prison, you were publicly identified with the person in prison. You couldn't hide. So if you sympathize, it's not just write a sympathy card, address it to the prison, and hopefully it gets there. It's you publicly exposed yourself. You opened yourself up to taunts, to afflictions. And in fact, when they sympathized with prisoners, they had to accept with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have 
uh, a better and enduring possession. So what was some of the result of uh, going and sympathizing with those in prison? They were identified, and because they were identified, their property was confiscated. It was taken away. The confiscation of your property. Somebody comes and says, I don't know about the cost. It's too much. I don't understand this suffering bit. If God is good, and if God is love, and if God is all-powerful, why is my child suffering? And so what, is, what does the pastor say? Because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. Now this is where we get we identify with the father of the, the, the father of the demon-possessed son. And we say, I believe. Like if, we, if it was put before us, we'd say, I believe that it's a, Jesus is a better possession. He's an enduring possession. Uh, and then you say, but help my unbelief. And the help my unbelief happens in verse 35. Verse 35 is, or verse, yeah, verse 35 and, and this is where the pastor does such good care. He takes such good care of us. He says, when, when I'm beginning to go down that road, what's happening in my heart? What's actually going on in my mind and my heart? And in verse 35, he says, this is what's going on. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your confidence. You might remember in Matthew 10, Jesus warns his disciples that they will be sheep among wolves. Does it surprise us that we will be taunted? Does it surprise us that uh, we will be publicly exposed as believers for what we hold true to be uh, the go- in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? He said to them, when he said, you will be sheep among wolves, he says, don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. He says, don't fear. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't fear. Stand up. Fear the one who is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. Fear God. John 11, 25 through 26. Jesus says this, and, and this is one of our greatest fears when we, when we die, when we face our final moments. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Isn't that better? Isn't that enduring? Though you die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You shall never die. We'll die physically, but eternally before God, we enter into his very presence the moment we take our last breath. We need these we need, I need these conf- conversations in my life. Somebody comes up and says, are you throwing away your confidence? If, if, you, you, know, if you go down this path, <laughs> then what does it ultimately come to? The first conversation, he wrapped it up with verse 31. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This part of the conversation, he says, don't throw away your confidence, which has a, which has a great reward. What is the great reward found in Hebrews? It's eternal life. You have eternal life. Jesus has paid it all. 
You have this eternal life ahead of you. So somebody comes and questions about suffering, and part of suffering is we will never receive the answers we really want to receive. But what we will receive is the presence of God, knowing that whatever our questions might be, in the midst of the tragedy and the suffering and the darkness and the evil, Jesus sits on the throne. God, our Father, cares for us. The Holy Spirit ministers in us. So we say that whatever our struggles might be and whatever struggles I watch in this world, I will trust God that he is working out his will for his glory and for the, the, for the purification of the church and for my good in order that his name may be praised. Now, we'd rather have suffering taken away. We don't necessarily want that. But isn't it amazing, sometimes you watch those who go through some of the deepest sufferings and they are some of the most joyful people. Because they've had to go, that doesn't justify the suffering, that doesn't make suffering easy, but they have had to go through deep waters and they've seen a depth of God that sometimes is not seen if you have not struggled or suffered in the same way. How does Peter sing in the prison? What is going on there? You don't sing in a prison. You don't break out the hymnal. Hymn number 125, that's old school, right? We, it just happens on the screen. Before, we had to do the hard work of finding the number. Turn in your hymnal. There it is. There's Peter singing his lungs out in the prison. You know how many people over the years you talk to and they thank the Lord not for the suffering, but they thank the Lord for his presence. Somehow in the darkness they see the light. Somehow in the darkness they see the goodness of God. And they will say, I'm not throwing away my confidence. In fact, I'm more confident. My confidence is greater. Because what would you have without Jesus? What would you have without Jesus writing in, or, yeah, Jesus writing in John 11 that even though you die, you shall live powerful. It's beautiful. We need these conversations. Don't throw away your confidence. There is a great reward. There is eternal life in the presence of God. If the second part of the conversation is don't throw away your confidence, then verses 36 through 7, it's don't draw back. And this sets us up for why we'll talk about uh, the prayer, I, I see Hebrews 11 as a prayer for a generation to stand up in faith because we're not going to be those who draw back. Because that's what the world will want us to do. The world will want us to hide. They will publicly expose us. They will publicly taunt us. But for believers, we will not draw back. Now, how does the, the pastor, I think, does something brilliant here. Okay, because what he does, and if you've been with us through the study of Hebrews, you know that this isn't unusual because he'll bring us back to the Old Testament, right? He says, let's do a Bible study once again in the Old Testament. And so where does he bring us? He brings us to Habakkuk. So what do we need? If we're not going to throw away our confidence, verse 36, for you need endurance. You need endurance. You need to get through this. You need to go through this. It's not always taken away. Sometimes you go through it. For you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, so you say, I'm suffering, I'm going through difficult times. What am I called to do? Do God's will. 
you will receive what he has promised. Now, again, I believe, right? I believe this, but help my unbelief. Because what do we want to stop doing? Enduring. We're not sure about what he's promised. We're not sure if he's going to be faithful because it looks at times like he's so unfaithful. So he brings us back to Habakkuk. Habakkuk Habakkuk is a very interesting book because it wrestles with, with evil, with suffering, and with God. So if we were to go back to um, Habakkuk, and I think, uh, does, do we have Habakkuk passages? So let's go, back, let's go to Habakkuk 1, verse 2. The, after Habakkuk introduces himself, <coughs> so Habakkuk stood in Jerusalem. This is Judah. Israel had already been taken into captivity, and he ponders why God allows all this evil. Do you ever look around and say, why, God, do you allow all this evil why do you allow all this darkness? This is what Habakkuk is wrestling with. So you can see how this impacts Hebrews 10 because they're standing in all this evil and the first question that is often asked when you're in the midst of evil is, how long, Lord? Right? Like how long do I have to look at this? So verse two of Habakkuk one, how long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? You don't listen, you don't save. So God, you're not good and then uh, you don't save, you're not powerful. Where are you, God? Verse three, why do you force me to look at injustice? Ever ask God that? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Why do the wrongdoers seem to get away with everything? Oppression, violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. God, all I see is strife. All I see is evil. Verse 4, this is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Go to the next passage, Hebrews 1.13. So, the first, there's two questions primarily in Habakkuk. The first question in Habakkuk is, how long, Lord? Why do you look at all this wrongdoing? God seems to be silent. Now, remember this is Judah. So if we were to read verses 5 through 11 of chapter 1 before verse 13, God's answer to the first question is, I'm not blind. I see what's going on. But his answer will baffle Habakkuk, because he says, I'm going to send the Babylonians and and bring, to bring uh, Jerusalem and Judah into captivity. Now, that's such a strange answer. That might see, well, that's, we might read that and say, well, that's just history. But he's bringing a wicked, evil nation to come and punish his people to bring them into captivity. So, obviously, Habakkuk's going to have a second question. His second question um, it happens, and, and it's kind of summarized in uh, chapter 1, verse 13. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? God, why do you tolerate the even more evil Babylonians? Why do you tolerate their wrongdoing? And why do you uh, tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent? Isn't that, that's a powerful question. We don't have time to go, in, go into it, but sometimes it's like, God, why are you silent? While one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself. So I think it'll come to verse 17 next. This summarizes um, Habakkuk's question. He says, will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nations without mercy? 
In other words, will evil triumph? Will evil just keep on going? Will, it, will they um, empty their net and then uh, in order to fill it with more slaughter from the nations without mercy? God, is evil going to triumph? And so sometimes that becomes uh, the reason why we draw back. We say, God, uh, your plan of salvation doesn't seem to be working out. doesn't seem like you're sitting on the throne. Um, so why, why am I standing up? Why am I being publicly taunted? Uh, why am I being put in prison? So uh, Habakkuk says, how could God allow this to happen? Um, how could God take an evil nation and then punish his people? The answer to that is in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Habakkuk 2, verses 3 and 4. This is God's answer to Habakkuk's second question about God, why are you silent? He said, and again, these aren't popular answers. That's sometimes why we miss what God's saying because we don't actually want to hear the answer. He says, the Lord answered me, and then he got out of systematic theology and explained good and evil and all of that, right? That's not what he did. He said, write, this down, write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. And I'm not, I didn't mean to say anything's wrong with systematic, it's important. But this is the answer that systematic theology doesn't give you. He says, for the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it. That, oh, isn't it true? That is one of the hardest answers to receive. Wait for it. Wait for it. One of the hardest things to do is to wait on God. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. And then what he's talking about is he's saying the destruction of Babylon is coming. In other words, the destruction of evil is coming. So wait for it. He says in, um, so you say, well, how do I wait? So we just sit in a church and we just, you know, gather, huddle together and just hang out together so, and, and not go into the world Right? So, that is, so what does he say? Verse 4. Look, his eagle is inflated. He is without integrity. What do you expect from the world? Inflated eagle without integrity. What will the righteous one do? But the righteous one will live by his faith. Or will live by faith. What are you called to do? How are you called to, to wait? By faith. Everything we've learned in Hebrews 1 through 10. And so if we go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, as you know, not only does the pastor of Hebrews like to bring us back to the Old Testament and do Bible studies, but he likes to show us how the Old Testament points to the coming of Jesus. We can't understand the Old Testament until we understand that there's many things that point us to Jesus. So you will say, well, when we read Hebrews uh, 10, verses 37 and 38, what happens then is it doesn't, I mean, there's changes. He seems to have changed the text, and are we supposed to change the text? He hasn't changed the text, but what he's done is he's written it in such a way where he shows us how that text is fulfilled. Back in the Old Testament, in the days of Habakkuk, the immediate context and the fulfillment of the immediate context was when the Babylonians took uh, the uh, Judah into captivity, and then Babylon got destroyed. That was the immediate fulfillment. So wait, um, it, will, it, 
it, it will take place, so now live by faith. But that passage pointed to another time and a greater deliverance. So what do we read in uh, Hebrews 10, verse 37? For yet in a very little while. I think that's probably taken from, I think it's Isaiah 26. The coming one will come and not delay. You'll say, well, that's not, we don't find that back in Habakkuk. You don't find that back in Habakkuk because the pastor is helping us understand how Habakkuk is fulfilled. What is being fulfilled in the New Testament? We're not worried about Babylon anymore. And in fact, we're not even really worried about the nations around us. Yes, the nations around us will puff up in pride and they will have no integrity. So how do we live by faith? What is, what is this greater deliverance that we're talking about? The coming one will come and not delay. The return of Jesus. The, the ultimate fulfillment of Habakkuk is not Babylon. It's not only the, coming of Je- the first coming of Jesus, but it's his final coming. It's when this life will be over and Jesus will return from the clouds as we read in Acts and 1 Thessalonians 4 and all those who are dead in Christ will rise and those who live will join to be with him in eternal glory. The coming one, the better possession. This is why we have a better and enduring possession. This is why we don't throw away our confidence. This is why you need endurance so that you may receive what was promised. What was promised in a very little while and life goes quickly, and Jesus will return one day. The coming one will come and not delay. So what do we do in the meantime? But my righteous one, notice he says my righteous one. There's something personal about it. My righteous one will live by faith. Live by faith. What do we need to do today? We need to have conversations with one another and say, you know what? I believe, but help my unbelief, and I'm really in that place of help my unbelief because I don't know how much I believe or suffering and evil and all of this. And part of it is Habakkuk showing up in the New Testament and saying, the coming one will come. So now we live by faith. And so that's why in verse 39, Uh, He brings it all together, this third conversation, but we're not those who draw back. What happens when we have weak faith? We begin to draw back. What happens when we don't know about uh, Jesus being the better temple, Jesus being the better sacrifice, Jesus being in the line of Melchizedek, all those things that we studied in the book of Hebrews, that Jesus brings a better covenant, that we are his people, that he has changed our mind, that he has filled us with the Holy Spirit so that we may live for him, so that we do not draw back. We will not be destroyed. We are not destroyed. Those who have faith and are saved. So, now faith and saved. Now, that leads us, and we'll just spend a few moments here um, uh, because I want to, again, give a word of encouragement for mothers um, to be able to stand because for a generation, motherhood has been slammed by our culture. Verse 1, Hebrews 11, now faith. So if we're going to live by faith, it's a good question, right? Like, well, what is faith? What do I know? What what is it to live out my faith? What does it mean to um, uh, have faith and are saved? Faith, what is faith? Faith is the reality. Some of your versions might say um, the assurance, the conviction of what is hoped for, 
the proof of what is not seen. Now, to be fair, this is probably less of a definition, although it's definition-like, it's more of an explanation of what faith is. What is faith? This is faith. And again, remember, this isn't where he began in Hebrews 1. There have been 10 chapters of hard work trying to understand who Jesus is, trying to understand the beauty of Jesus and that he is better than anything we could possibly imagine. What is faith? Faith is the confidence of what you hope for that is written in God's word and revealed in his character will be fulfilled. In fact, faith of what is hoped for is so much understood in terms of hope for that it is as, it's as if it is a reality to you. You have such confidence that your faith is a reality. This is why, so it's the opposite of drifting. It's the opposite of everything that's been said in Hebrews. The opposite of drifting, um, uh, doubts, anxiety, fears. To hear of the hope in Scripture is to know this hope as a reality with confidence, with assurance. Therefore, God is trustworthy, giving us confidence, courage, and conviction. When we read the promises in Scripture, when we read John 11 that says, uh, even though we die, yet we will live, that's our reality. That's our truth. We will stake our life on it because it is so real to us. It is so powerful in our hearts. Now, yes, we have the I believe, help my unbelief. There will be moments of that. But in general, when we read uh, the Word of God, we say this is our reality. We take the Word of God by the Holy Spirit, and we live in our reality while uh, the world holds a different reality. So somebody says, why are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, for many reasons, because he's better. But even though I die, I will live. You say, well, I don't get that because you haven't died and, um, you know, like, it, it just seems like faith is sometimes this mysterious thing. And in fact, some people describe faith. I tried to think, I probably should have looked it up, but there's a, do you remember the movie where um, uh, uh, he had to go from one side to the other, and, but the first thing that he had to do is he had to put his foot on what was a bridge, but the bridge wasn't hidden, or the bridge wasn't seen. Anybody? Indiana Jones? Is it really? Oh, man. I should have known that. How many knew that? Oh, man, all of you. Not doing that again. I'm Googling it next time. That's, a, that's how some people view faith. It's, that's not faith. When you step out in faith, you see the bridge. You have no concern about walking across to the other side. When you are... When, when a believer is dying, God gives them the faith. Does it mean that they won't struggle and all? They, yeah, but God gives it to them because they know, they see the bridge, they see Christ, and that is their reality. You see, we look at the world and we, we, it, it teaches us that theirs is the reality. That, that's not the reality. That's life without integrity. That's life against God. Doesn't mean that the world can't be good and there can't be goodness in it, but it is headed away from God. For a believer, we step on the bridge. And when we step on the bridge, we have the reality of our faith. There is an objective aspect to our faith. 
As we read through the history of redemption, the historical Jesus, the objective reality of what is believed, but then there's the subjective work of the Holy Spirit opening our hearts and minds to see it and to live it. Some people will say, when I became, before I a believer, didn't understand a word of Scripture, didn't make any sense, became a believer, and it came alive to me, and now the Word of God lives in me. And this is why faith is so important. It's why the ancestors were approved, for by it our ancestors won God's approval. Do you, isn't that beautiful? How, how do we receive God's approval? We think, well, law, we think temple, we think all it, Jesus says, faith. Why faith? Why does faith, um, the ancestors won God's approval through faith? Why is, why is that? Because faith reveals God. Faith glorifies God. With our faith, when we come in faith, do we say, well, I will give myself eternal life? We say, even though I die, I will live. Why? Because I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what do you do when, what do you mean you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? He will give life, and that is my reality. And then all of a sudden, God is exposed in his glory. You mean you serve a God who sent his son Jesus so that you might be filled with his spirit and have everlasting life, your sins forgiven, and you have a desire to follow him when once you were under his wrath? You say, that's my reality, and he's better and he's enduring, and I'm drawn to him. That's my assurance. That's my confidence. And so that's why, and we'll just, we'll just do one or two. Um, that's why uh, he starts, he has an entire chapter of a generation, generations who stood up in faith. He says, creation. Look at verse, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. What do we believe? Creation. We believe Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. We believe God created the universe. Why? Because partly, you look at creation. There must be a God. You look at Romans 1 that tells us creation reveals to us not only the glory of God, but creation reveals to us his eternal power and his divine nature in the beauty, generosity, goodness, abundance, power of creation. You see the beauty, generosity, goodness, and power and love of God. And then you go to Abel and you say, you remember Cain and Abel, they both offer sacrifices. Why was Abel's received? Abel's was received because he offered it by faith. His faith revealed his righteousness. In other words, we live by faith, and when we live by faith, we will live by obedience. And Abel died. Enoch is next. Enoch, at the ripe or at the young age of 365, you imagine? I think he wasn't. Either, I think he was the father of Methuselah, who was like 900 and something crazy years old. 900 years. Oh, that's something. Uh, Enoch doesn't die. Abel dies. Live by faith. Everything will be great. Enoch like, no. Like sometimes it's Abel. But that's, what, that's why Abel's blood still cries out for us today, right? Because even though you will die, you will live by faith. Abel died, but he lived. Enoch lived, but he lived by faith. Why? Because God was um, pleased, approved as one who pleased God. So again, it's not just this 
okay, I'm going to obey God. It's, I'm going to obey God because I love my God and I want to please him. I want to stand up and be accounted for in this generation. I want to stand up and be accounted for in my family. And then we end with this and then hopefully an encouragement to our mothers. Now, without faith, it's like he gives us a few examples. He says, okay, we have to regroup and understand what faith is again. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You say, oh, man, I, I, I simply want to please God. And if, if, if I can just say this, I wonder, especially with mothers, if um, one of the greatest struggles with motherhood, not being a mother, but if I hear correctly, is how much guilt Mothers can carry because maybe they haven't done enough or been enough. Or what happens if they just did this? And, and there's so much, um, in some ways, against mothers today that uh, we would uh, care for our children um, this way. And then uh, life sometimes doesn't work out and you say, what did I do wrong? And in verse 6, we read, Now now without faith it is impossible to please God. And you say, well, how do I please God with my faith? And the pastor of Hebrews says, I love that you asked that question because here it is. There's three things that please God about faith. The first is since... This is so good. Since the one who draws near to him. Isn't that beautiful? What is the first aspect of faith? It's not going out there and conquering nations. The first thing that you do with faith is you draw near to God. It brings us back to Hebrews 10. You draw near to God, and what happens when you draw near to God? You build up that relationship. You say, God, I'm about to go into this day as a mother, and I don't have a lot to offer. I'm about to you know, go and have that conversation with my teenager, and I don't even know what I'm going to say. And then somebody comes and tells you, well, go and live by faith. And you say, well, what does it even mean to live by faith? First, draw near to God. Be in the presence of God. And in the presence of God, you will experience his his love, his goodness. You may go for a walk and you're reminded of the the love and goodness of creation, and you're reminded of the love and goodness of God. And then that leads into the second part of how faith is lived out. Uh, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists. You reaffirm in your mind that God exists. You take the most basic of basics and you say, because God created the world, he exists. Because I exist, God exists. I draw near to him, he exists. And the third element of faith um, that's lived out to please God is that he rewards those who seek him. He is a good God. He's not out to get you. He's not out to test you. He he rewards you. He blesses you. He keeps you. There is no parent, there is no mother who has done everything right. And so what do we have left at the end of the day? At the end of the day, we have this. God 
I'm going to wake up as a mother this morning and I desire to please you first as I serve my family. And God, you're asking me to do some hard things today. So I'm going to draw near to you. I'm going to state the most basic that you exist. And as I know you and understand you and understand certain characteristics of your love and faithfulness and your generosity and your goodness, I will take your presence with me and I will seek to seek your reward. I will seek your presence so that I'm with my children, I'm with my husband, I'm with my community, I'm at my place of work, wherever it might be. God, I live by faith to please you. And God hears the prayer. And so God helps us even to know that sometimes when Satan leads our minds down to, I, I, I was never good enough, I never did enough, is it me, is it me? To be able to say, God, in faith, I did what I could. I love my children. I sacrifice for them. God, I pray your reward. I pray your care. Because here's the reality is we can't be God. We can be our weak selves. And we have to live by faith. That even in our weakness and even in times when we did mess it up, maybe really bad, we trust God that he will work in the lives of the next generation through the powerful and impactful influence of mothers. And so Satan doesn't get into our hearts or heads to say, it's you. We bring our faith before God and we say, God, now build up my children, young or old, for the glory and for the honor of your name. So mothers, don't draw back. You're not destroyed. Have faith. You're saved. We live in the goodness of God. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for Hebrews. Thank you for difficult conversations that we need to have with one another. Maybe someone's just wanting to walk from faith to sin. Leave behind Christ and the Holy Spirit. Maybe someone's tired of the suffering that they're going through, tired of the suffering that they're watching others going through. Maybe some just want to draw back. Maybe not leave, but just draw back. Lord, we pray for a generation who will stand up like many did in the Old Testament, a generation who will draw near to God, believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. And how we make faith complex, give us the simplicity and then the profoundness to live it out in life. And we pray for mothers today that they would know this prayer of faith, that you give them their heart's desires, that even though they struggle, you stand with them, you stand before them. And Father, may they go in confidence, not drawing back, to live by faith as they seek to please you and serve their families. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.